appreciate being with him. I appreciate being here in this meeting. Thank you, Brother Gravely, for your kindness to us. And each one that's had a kind word to say, I appreciate you so much today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. And I'm going to give you a simple thought. It won't be long before you. Mark, chapter 14. We're going back to the upper room. Mark 14 and verse number 12. The Bible says this, And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, And there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me for just a few moments. Lord, thank you for the message we've already heard. Lord, how our hearts have been stirred by those things that the Lord gave to his disciples, not only to them, to us. Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, I pray now that you'd help me for just a few minutes as we look into your word once again. And God will give you praise for all you do. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask it. Amen and amen. Amen. I appreciate the preaching we've already heard. Brother Failure has already covered so much ground in this narrative. Here in, John, in Mark, we find uh, a little bit different uh, narrative that Mark gives. Here Jesus is getting ready. He's headed to the cross. And he's getting ready. To, and the, the Bible says to eat the Passover, but we know it now as the Last Supper. Matter of fact, probably the most recognized meal in the history of humanity. It is a meal that we recognize still to this day. Matter of fact, on our table it says, This do in remembrance of me. As Jesus sat there with the disciples, he took the bread, he broke it. This is my body. He took the cups, that this is my blood, which is of the New Testament. And Jesus gave all that to the disciples and he said, I'm not going to eat this again until we eat it again in the kingdom. You could say a lot about this narrative here in the Word of God. You could say a lot about. And Brother Failure has already covered a lot about what Jesus did. But my focus today is not on the disciples. It's not on actually what the Lord did here. But my focus is upon a man that we do not know his name. The Bible said, Jesus told him, said, you're going to go into the city. And you're going to meet a man there bearing a pitcher of water. And the Bible says, when you see that fellow, follow him. Now, that's some strange directions if you ask me. 
You're just going into town and all of a sudden here comes a man and you say, there's a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And he said, when you follow him, wherever he goes in, you go in and you say to the good man of the house, where is the guest chamber that's been prepared? Jesus is showing his disciples his ability to tell the future to his disciples here. He says, I know what's going to happen. You're going to meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. What's unusual about that in Bible days, it was the women's job to to get water. It was the women's job. Here's a man willing to do a job that really wasn't his job to do, but yet he was willing to do it. Boy, don't we need some folks like that in our churches. And I thought about this here in this scene. They're in the upper room. The Bible described this room like this in verse number uh, 15 said, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. I began to think about this and I'm preaching on this subject. When you think about this meal that we remember today, the most widely recognized meal in the history of humanity, I want to ask you this, who set the table? I remember when I was a kid, as a, as a kid, my mom would be in the kitchen and she'd be cooking. And you know how youngins are when they get hungry. I had three sisters that were younger than me and a bunch of little old youngins hovering around in the kitchen. Mama, is it ready? Is it ready? Have you, have you, is it about done? Mama, is it about done? And then all of a sudden, my mom, she'd be stirring pots and flipping stuff in skillets. And she'd look over her shoulder and she'd say, youngins, set the table. And we knew what that meant. We, each one would go, we'd get the plates out of the cabinet and we'd put them down on the table. We, everybody had their spot at the table. We'd go get the silverware out of the drawer and we'd set the table. You see, we wasn't preparing the meal, but we had a part in it in the fact that we were willing to set the table. I thought about here's a man that the Bible does not tell us his name. He is simply a nameless servant. And yet, He set the table for the greatest meal in the history of humanity, the Last Supper, that Jesus and his disciples would eat together here. I thought about how we need people today in our churches with servants' heart willing to set the table. Every one of us want the Lord to come and sit down in our services. But I wonder where are the people that are willing to set the table? You say, what are you trying to say, preacher? When you're setting the table, uh, I know you ladies, uh, you're like my wife. Uh, you're creating an atmosphere when you set the table. I mean, it's uh, ladies have a special touch. They can make everything look so nice. My wife, she does that, especially at the holidays. Man, it looks like something from, uh, uh, you know, better homes and gardens. And man, everything looks so nice. She is creating an atmosphere when she sets the table. I wonder what kind of atmosphere we're creating in our churches when we set the table. Do you realize it is important today? Not only when you set the table, you are paying attention to detail. Everybody has their spot at the table. I mean, everybody, you know where everybody sits. And you're paying attention to detail. Matter of fact, you get to the point that you are uh, doing it with such a mentality that it's an attitude that something special is about to happen. I don't know if you ever have, when you have guests over, my wife's notorious for this. She loves to feed preachers and we've had many in our home. And, uh, but she, uh, somehow or another, whenever we got special guests coming over, 
She's got them special dishes. Y'all ladies got some of them. Uh, you know, them that they keep in the cabinet. You just look at them most of the time. Just for looking at until somebody special is coming in the house. And then all of a sudden they get them special dishes out. And I'm thinking, man, what am I, chopped liver? I, I live here all year long. And I got to eat out of just anything I can get a hold of. But now we got somebody special coming. And we're going to have the special dishes. Tell you what we ought to do. We ought to set the table at the house of God with an attitude that it is a special thing. We ought to come with a mentality that uh, the king of glory is getting ready to come and sit down at the table with us. I thought about this when you think about this. This man set the table. There's three things about where he set the table. Number one, he set the table in an elevated place. It was an upper room. In other words, where this was taking place was going to be a little bit higher than it was down there where there's going to meet the good man of the house. Can I say to you, thank God for them saints of God that are able to set the table and elevate the service at the house of God. I want to ask you this question. Who's going to set the table and elevate the worship service at the house of God? Years ago, I was in revival meeting in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was driving back home on Saturday. My family was with me and we were driving up I-77 through Charlotte. Beautiful sunny day. We're driving along. All of a sudden, uh, I, on the interstate, there was one of them car haulers passed me on the interstate. Had about seven or eight cars on it headed to a dealership somewhere. And when it passed me, I looked at it and I looked at my wife and I said, there goes a Baptist preacher. And she didn't understand what I was saying. She thought I had seen somebody who had passed us that I knew. She said, who was it? I said, no, no, you don't understand. I said, you see that car hauler there with all them cars on it? I said, that reminds me of a Baptist preacher on Sunday morning. I said, that whole crowd's a riding. Y'all a little slow in Georgia. I said, that whole crowd is riding. I said, ain't a one of them got their motor on. Except the one doing the pulling. And I said, I said, I I thought about, I I said, you know what? They ain't none of them getting no miles on them except the one that's doing the pulling. I said, that's the way it is when we come into church on Sunday morning. We climb up on the preacher's back. Now, preacher, get us in the glory today. Why don't you crank your little motor Sunday? Why don't you see if there's some fire where you're at? Amen. I'll tell you what, every one of us have a part, hallelujah, in setting the table. Hallelujah to his name. Oh, yeah. Pick, you say, well, the service was kind of flat today. What did you do to try to pick it up? Amen. I have seen some of them little saints of God had God on them. I'll never forget this. I've been where I'm at 25 years now. When I first went there, little, a small country church, and there was a little lady in our church that she was one of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever known. She is one of them little saints of God. You didn't have to pump her or prime her. She was always ready to worship. And I'll never forget one Wednesday night. I hadn't been pastoring long. I was just young, wet behind the ears. And it was on a Wednesday night service. We probably didn't have 35 people there if we had that many. 
And that night I was up uh, starting the service and I was doing the most spiritual thing. I was making the announcements. Y'all know how spiritual those are. We, I wasn't even reading scripture, hadn't preached, hadn't done. I'm reading the announcements. And I'm reading, I'm reading out that this group's going to meet over here and this Saturday we're going to do this. And I mean, I'm reading a litany of things and all of a sudden I heard noise in the pew. And this little lady, whenever she would get in the glory, her face would shine just like she had a glow about her. And I looked up to see what the ruckus was and there stood Miss Ida just standing up, looking up like she's looking up into the face of heaven. Just to clap in her hands and praise God. The next thing I knew, she reached up and pulled heaven down in the service that night. And it was two hours later till we finally came to ourselves. You know what she did? She elevated the service that night. She got in the glory and she took us all with her. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but somebody needs to set the table in an elevated place. This man set the table in a place of expectation. He is going about the business of preparing the table and he knows that there's somebody going to sit down there. You reckon that's why there ain't as many lost people coming to our churches as needs to be? You reckon they know we're not preparing for them to come? Some of you say, well, preacher, I'm tired of sitting at the table. I've invited them for years. I've been trying to reach somebody for years and they won't even talk to me about coming. And many times they've lied to me and told them they'd come and they wouldn't come. But that shouldn't stop you from setting the table. Because you might set the table and this might be the Sunday that they'll walk through the door. This might be the Sunday. Hallelujah to his name. I've got an old boy in my church. He, he knows a man. This man really don't have a lot of family and he's, he's not been in church probably, I know, at least 40 years. And around Christmas time, he got a burden about this man. And he said, I'm going to go see him. And he said, I'm going to buy him a little old Christmas gift and I'm going to take it to him. He said when he walked through the doors of that man's house, that man was kind of shocked to see him. And he said, I, I just wanted to let you know I'm thinking about you and brought you a little something for Christmas. And he said that man kind of looked stunned and said all of a sudden he just looked at him and said, well, it's good to know that somebody was thinking about me. And he said, he said, I've not been in church in 40 years. And he, and the brother looked at him and said, well, I sure would like for you to come. He said, I'm a thinking about it. You see what he was doing that day when he took that little gift, he was setting the table. You say, has he come yet and sat down? No, he hadn't. But he knows he's got a spot at the table whenever he decides to come. It was a place of expectation. It was a place of empowerment. The Bible said it was furnished. Everything they needed was there. The only thing lacking was for the Savior to come and sit down. Well, I'll tell you one thing right now. We ought to get to the point that we prepare ourselves in such a way when we come to the house of God that the only thing, we shouldn't come here to get right. We ought to get right before we get here. And we ought to come in. There's nothing left to do but for Jesus to come and sit down in the midst of us. Amen. You say, preacher, why should I set the table? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you this and I'm done. Number one. There's the individual responsibility 
of setting the table. You know, sometimes the service ain't what it needs to be. And the most of the time, the preacher takes the blame for it. <laughs> if you don't see happen what you'd like to see happen, somehow or another your pastor goes home and in his mind he beats himself up. He said, if I could have preached a little bit better, if I could have done this, or maybe if I'd prepared a little bit better, if I could have, uh, if I could have been better at what I'm doing, many times he blames himself for that. I've often said this. I said, we're not lacking good preaching in our day. What we're lacking is people prepared to receive good preaching. Amen. You see, you have as much responsibility in the service where you attend the house of worship as the preacher does. He can prepare it. He can get ready to put it on the table. But the fact of the matter is, if you haven't set the table, it's not going to be of any effect to anybody. You have a personal responsibility. I've got a preacher friend in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, Pastor Gary Shue. Brother Gary's just an old country preacher, pastors a country church up there. He's an eclectic fellow. He, um, for side work, Brother Gary, he, he owns and he, and he uh, utilizes a glass-sided horse-drawn hearse. One of the most beautiful things you've ever seen, the beautiful horses he has. And he dresses when he, when he does a funeral. He does them for dignitaries, preachers. When he, when he does a funeral, it, he looks like he stepped out of the 1800s. One of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. I've seen some preachers' funerals where they would, and he would come and man, it's, it's just magnificent. But I got to meet him, finally got to meet him one day and I knew that he was a bit of a songwriter himself and, so I finally got to meet him. We talked a little bit. That day I gave him some of my family's music and he knew I wrote a few songs and, and we just exchanged pleasantries and I hadn't seen him in a while and I was at home one day and the phone rang. When I picked it up, it was Brother Shue and he said, Brother Fletcher, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. He said, uh, I said, what are you doing, man? He said, well, I, I've been sitting here this morning listening to your family sing. And he said, me being a songwriter, he said, I'm always curious if I hear a song that ministers to me and speaks to my heart. And I know the writer, he said, I like to know the motivation behind what caused you to write it. And he said, there's a song preacher that's been helping me this morning that you wrote. And he said, and I asked him, I said, well, which one is it? And I wrote a song many years ago called The Empty Chair. And the reason I wrote that song, I'd ran into a lady one day and her mother had passed away, and I was inquiring about how her daddy was doing. I said, how's your daddy doing? I knew her mother had passed away. And she said, well, preacher, he's doing okay. Or said he's getting along fairly good, but said, really? All he does now is sit in the house and look at that empty chair. And I got to thinking, I said, you know, all of us are going to have an empty chair somewhere in our life. There's going to be a time when somebody we love, God calls them home and we're left behind. There's that void. And I wrote a song called God Gives Grace to Fill an Empty Chair. And I wrote that song. God gives grace to fill an empty chair. When loved ones leave, he promised he'll be there. We'll meet again in heaven in a place that he's prepared. And thank our Savior for the grace that filled an empty chair. I wrote that song. He said, preacher, he said, let me tell you about my empty chair. I didn't know he had one. 
He said, preacher, you don't know this. He said, but about a, a year ago, my wife passed away from cancer. I said, I didn't know that, Brother Shue. I had no idea. He said, yeah, and she was in her middle age years. She wasn't uh, old or anything. He said, uh, he said, we had the funeral and said uh, everything. And he said, my wife and I, all the years we were married, we had this special thing we did. We promised each other that every day of our life, no matter how busy we were, what direction we were going in, we were going to sit down at least one time out of the day and have a meal together. That was our thing. And he said, all the years we had married, every day, unless I was out of town in another state, and he said, even then, if I was out of town, he said, I would get her on the phone and we would spend that time that we'd normally do it when I was in state on the phone together. And he said, preacher, every day of my life, I sat down and ate a meal with my wife. And he said, after all the friends and family were gone, I was there at the house by myself. It was getting meal time and I was hungry. And he said, I thought, well, I'll go fix me something to eat. He said, I went into the kitchen. I said, got me a plate out and set it down at the table and got my silverware. And said, I went over to the stove, began to try to prepare me something to eat. And he said, my heart got so heavy, I just began to weep. And I said, God, I can't do this. God, I can't sit down and eat. This is what me and my wife did together. This is, this is what we always did. This was our thing. And he said, the Spirit of God began to speak to him and said, well, she's with me. You know she's all right. You know where she's at. He said, I know where she's at, God, but, but she's not here. And we always did this together. And I don't think I can do this without her. And he said, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, well, she's not here, but I am. And he said, as I stood there weeping, all of a sudden he said, you, you know, you're right, Lord. And he said, I went over to the cabinet and I got another plate. Said, I went over and got another set of silverware and said, I set another place at the table, one for Jesus and one for me. And he said, preacher, every day of my life now, me and Jesus sits down and has a meal together. Hallelujah. I'm glad, praise God, if you'll set the table, I'm glad he will come. Hallelujah. He'll come in your darkest valley. He'll come when you're down and out. He'll come when you're discouraged. Amen. If you'll set the table, amen. There's the individual responsibility. Number two, the important ramifications of setting the table. I don't know if this man, when he set the table, this servant, he was just doing what a servant does, what he was told to do. I have no idea if he knew exactly who was going to sit down there or not. Do you realize when you're setting the table, you have no clue the ramifications of what you're doing when you set the table? Can you imagine a little old servant carrying a pitcher of water and all of a sudden it dawned on him. I just set the table where the creator that hung the moon and the stars is going to set down. What a powerful thing that is that you would set the table and the king of glory just before he goes to the cross of Calvary is going to set down in the place that you've set for him. That's a powerful Ramification. Right. I'm talking about important ramification. Do you realize you're setting the table? You don't know who might sit down there. 
I had a dear lady in my church. She's in heaven now. For the first 10 years, almost 12 years that I pastored a little old church, when I first went there, they didn't have a church van or anything. We bought an old church van that had about a million miles on it off of somebody had been his wore out, used more oil and it did gas, but we used it to haul people to church. Some of y'all got one like that too, I see. And uh, this lady didn't drive. Her husband wouldn't come to church. He didn't want anything to do with church. Matter of fact, if he knew I was coming to visit, he would be gone. Didn't want to have anything to do with me. And she would ride our church van. Her name was Mary. She was one of the most quiet, unassuming people you've ever seen. And she was always a help in the church. Anything she could do to help in any way. She rode our church van for over 10 years. I'm talking about faithful service after service. Rode our church van to church. And every, just about every service, Miss Mary's prayer request, pray for my husband that he'll be saved. Pray for my boys that they'll be saved and they'll be in church. And for 10 years, we listened to that prayer request. And for 10 years, we watched her set the table. Miss Mary got diagnosed with breast cancer. And she started going through all the treatments. And we realized that she was losing the battle with that. She had really long hair and she lost all of her hair because of the treatments of cancer. And I looked back one Sunday morning and I saw the strangest sight. I looked back and I saw her sitting back there, had a little hat on her head where she'd lost her hair. But I saw her husband sitting beside her. And I said, well, I'm glad he came because he knows how much it meant to her to have him come to church with her. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have any expectations beyond that. I thought, well, he, he's, he knows she's losing this battle. And I looked back the next service and there he sat again with her. I looked in a couple of services and I, I said, there's something going on here. And we come in on one Sunday morning. It was at about 10 a.m. We started and we always start with a congregational song. And, and uh, then our Sunday school superintendent will say a few things and let, dismiss everybody to Sunday school. And that morning for our congregational song, our leader uh, picked out the song, How Great Thou Art. It's 10 o'clock now on Sunday morning. We've not done anything else, but we're starting the service with a song. We begin to sing, How Great Thou Art. And I can't explain it to you, but apparently somebody had set the table. Because at about three minutes after 10, the King of Glory came and sat down in the service. I'm talking about... It seemed like we'd been there three hours and we've only been there three minutes. And man, all of a sudden people are flooding to the altars and people are getting right. And the Holy Ghost says, you need to give an invitation. I said, we've just been here three minutes, Lord. He said, that's all right. It's time to give an invitation. I grabbed the microphone and I said, God said, it's time for me to give an invitation. I said, some of you've been running from God a long time. It's time you give it up. And I looked back. And there stood Miss Mary and that husband. All of a sudden, I saw him reach and grab her by the hand. And they came down the side aisle. And he was under such conviction, he couldn't even make it all the way to the altar. He just fell on his knees, weeping like a baby in the, in the aisle. I slid in like I was sliding into home plate. I said, Lindsay, you've been running from God a long time, but it's time you give it up. And that day, Brother Lindsey Jennings got born again by the grace of Almighty God. Hallelujah to his name. 
Now here, here is, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. It wasn't long after that Miss Mary lost her battle, or should I say won her battle with cancer. She got perfectly healed. Left behind that husband. I heard him testify there. They stood up weeping. He said, it's been over 10 years since I've been saved. After he got saved, of course, his wife passed away. Some time passed and there was another lady in our church whose husband had died. Next thing I knew, they started seeing each other a little bit and they ended up getting married. Wonderful couple. And uh, Brother Lindsay is now a deacon in our church. Them boys that she prayed for, both of them are in church now. One of them is a trustee in our church. And Miss Mary always helped with the children of the church. She loved children. And them boys are hers married wives. And they started having grandbabies that Mary never got to see. And now when I look back on a Sunday morning, I see two completely filled pews with little grandbabies of a woman who never got to see them, but she set the table for them. She set the table for them. And there they are sitting at the spot. Her faithfulness brought them in. Hallelujah to his name. I don't know about you, but if there's no other reason for you to be faithful, if there's no other reason for you to do what you're doing in the service of the Lord, it's because you don't know who's going to sit down at the table behind you. Amen. There's the important ramifications. And finally... When you set the table, there's the impression that remains. We talk about this story of the Last Supper. We know all about the disciples. We know what Jesus said to the disciples. We know what he told them to do, the directive he gave them. But here's a man that we don't even know his name. But guess what? We're talking about him today. Because of what he did. He was a servant. Do you realize the majority of our churches are filled with little servants? The world will never know their names. People drive by, they'll, they'll know, they'll say, Brother Gravely pastor's there. They'll come by my church, they'll say, Brother Fletcher, that's Brother Fletcher's church, it ain't my church, it's the Lord's church. But I'm going to tell you what's made the churches what they are today. It's them little nameless servants that have labored in the shadows. And Sunday after Sunday, they just set the table. And the Lord has come and sit down among us. I don't know about you. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine the other day, sometime back. He's up in years now. And he's, uh, he's had a great ministry. Seen a lot of things. Been through a lot of wars, battles, struggles. And this is what he told me. This is what he said. He said, I love the ministry God has given me. But he said, at this stage of my ministry now, he said, he said, I get more joy out of doing the things that everybody else has left undone. (laughs) He said, that's my greatest joy is doing the things that everybody else has left undone. And he said, that's what I'm finishing out my ministry trying to do. The things that everybody else has left undone. Can I say to you, if you want to leave a mark for Jesus, just keep setting the table. 
Father, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you challenge our hearts today. Lord, we'll give you praise for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.